Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, the J10 Initiative. I like the I like the random roll. We just jumped in and hit record. Come on, intro. welcome to Catholic Stuff Podcast. This is Seminarian Jacob Machado, and this is Father Mike in the morning. <laughs> in the morning, eight thirty with our coffee. Yeah, this is uh, you take coffee black. Well, I mean, it's, it's a latte, so it's not exactly black, but there's no sugar. What is a latte? You put the milk in there? I think it's just cream or that frothed milk. What's the difference between that and a cappuccino, though? I have a cappuccino. Cappuccino has more froth, and it's much drier. Is yours espresso with milk yeah. added or coffee yeah, with milk? it's basically the same thing. You just have more more of the froth cream on top. And I think cappuccino is a cooler just name. more milk. Is this but. working with the headphones? Yeah. yeah. I just yep. have one in and one out. Can you turn up the headphones a little bit? Yeah, probably. And then, yeah, you got to check my there we go my volume. Jacob has a uh, a better radio voice than I do. I don't know about that. Although mornings are better for me because it's actually a little bit deeper than normal. It took me four years to get comfortable, okay, with my uh, my radio voice. I was doing radio TV broadcasting in college. Oh, really? One, one class we had to record. Wait, this uh, was a class or this was, was a, a major? Class. It was a class. So radio TV was my major, but we had a, a radio wow. class. And we had to record our uh, basically like radio stings, uh, the intro stuff, or we had to do interviews, and we had to listen back to them with the whole class. And I hated my voice for like the entire semester. I think that's very normal. Uh, but think- then you hear yourself enough. And you start hearing yourself how other people hear you, and all illusions of having the James Earl Jones voice are gone. Yeah, that's right. You kind of accept your own. The um, what is what is radio television or television radio? What did you say? Radio television. Yeah, radio television production. So we were learning all the radio and television. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were talking about no, 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 not a mix. It's not a mix. It's radio, radio on the television. television. <laughs> we film people on the radio. We yeah, were, well, we that's were doing the a, that's video, a podcast, the video right? podcast logging before it was even a thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's what I'm we saying. Had known. It's like the Breakfast Club with Charlemagne. <laughs> you got you know video cameras in the. I, what do you think about video videoing this thing? I've I, thought about that in the past. That people like that. I don't know why people like that. To be honest, really, I think people sitting in a studio is one of the boringest things you could watch. Yeah, kind of. I don't know. I there's something about it that I do like, like YouTube podcasts. Yeah. I I think it's I at least want to see the characters. I'm intrigued by seeing putting who, who it is. Yeah, putting a face to a voice. I also feel like you can get more of the personality of the person if you see them. Yeah. It's like look, when you had those masks on, <laughs> it was hard to know like a person. Strangely enough, they say the eyes are the window to the soul, but I think something about a face tells you a lot. So even like if someone's talking, you can learn from what they're saying and their ideas, but there's also something else. They say how much of communication is body language? Yeah, maybe like that. And even like a countenance. Okay, so you're doing radio and TV, and uh, did you have ambitions to use it, or was it just a fun class? Oh, no, I had ambitions. I was... uh, I. I mean, I worked doing video production after college for a while, but uh, at one point I had dreams of cutting it in Hollywood. Uh, oh, really? Director of photography was kind of the dream job. Director so, of photography. The director of photography is the main video guy. He is in charge of all the other videographers planning the set, uh, planning how they're going to film. 
in dialogue with the the main director but that way the director gets to work on you know the actors their presentation their their performance but the director of photography is the one who's setting the the pans and the focus and all the is that the same thing as filmography yeah yeah so oh did you ever get to do anything like that yeah, we even did like some. small productions we used to make little videos here at the seminary yeah no i've done plenty of that um and I did, I did some stuff out for Steubenville uh, for the university um, and just fun, fun little things here and there. But uh, the, the biggest job I never took oh. was, uh, <laughs> I think, two years, maybe it was even just a year out of college, I got an offer to um, work as a grip, which is basically like the lowest end of the totem pole on the recording staff, uh, basically do it all from getting coffee to running cables to anything else. But if you've got to jump on a camera, they might call you. So I got an offer to do that. A friend of mine was working in Hollywood for TV shows, uh, kind of a, a company that was working for a bunch of different TV shows. And they were filming the Top Gear uh, US in Steamboat. And so they were- What is that, Top Gear? So Top Gear, it's just, uh, it started in the UK and it's a car show. So it's- uh, oh. they, do different mods to cars and explore different types of cars. Yeah. And they usually do some sort of challenge where uh, they, they, um, I think they raced a car through the Eisenhower tunnel, possibly for this, this episode. I can't remember. Uh, they like closed down Eisenhower tunnel and then drove as fast as they could with some hot rods. We got to find, um, there was a guy I met at a wedding at Lourdes last year who is, I think, this role that you're talking about, or like production manager or something like that. I think he sits in the trailer and then says, camera such and such, camera such and oh, such. So he's, being the, he's the technical director. Yeah, okay. he does that for um, that Ninja Warrior show. Okay, so he calls the, the, the cameras. And he like travels with them on the road. I think he's the main dude. That's pretty so, cool. yeah, I don't know. I'll introduce <laughs> you, and maybe you can be the you know, backup yeah. at one point. The grunt. What did there you call go. it? The uh, whip? <laughs> <laughs> no, the the grip. Mm. But yeah, I I got offered this job, but I had already had a ski trip planned with friends in Steamboat, so I was even close. But I said, yeah. Nah, I'm not going to work. I'm going to go ski with friends. And All I think right. that's when I decided, or internally realized that this maybe isn't what I actually want to spend not, my yeah. life doing. So, but do you, do you regret it? Uh, that one, not really. And then um, every once in a while, you know, you, what ifs prop pop up in your mind. That wasn't like you said, so you're, you're seeing the, the fork in the road. What's that um, poem? I see two, <laughs> two paths. Two um, roads diverge in a yellow wood. Yes. I, I took the one less traveled. Yes. <laughs> that's your that's Robert your Frost. Line. Is yep. it Frost? I think so. That's, well, that's your poem. Yeah, Always taking I don't know. the road less traveled. I, I, you seem to be taking a road <laughs> less traveled. Seminary, I think, generally is somebody who's wild. Not wild. Maybe a gambler. Yeah. Do you think? Maybe not. Uh, it depends. It's just it that depends. sometimes people find like discernment difficult and uncertain. So you're doing something uncertain at least. Yeah. I love what I love about it is the, the uncertainty and the excitement of like, I don't know what's going to happen in the church where I'm going. I'm, that's my personality a bit. But yeah, I see, think there are guys. I think there are guys. Robert Frost. I think there's guys that have. You know, they've, they've been planning on coming to the seminary since they were eight. That's true. And then yeah. it's a little less of a... That's true. The kid saying the kid like, mass. It's like plan A, you know? Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah. 
I appreciate that kind of dedication too. People who like fulfill their childhood dreams are generally pretty happy, I think. I think so. Pretty content. Can you turn this uh, these headphones up? I think we're at max. Oh no. Um, all right. We're still working, working out the kinks. I know. I promised them. And 11 years later, still working out the kinks. I promised them that this would be the end because we had this fancy box, but alas. Um, all right. So this is, this is Jake Machado. I feel like having listened to your, how many, how many episodes did you do? Uh, two with Father John. I don't know if they're both posted. I think one of them is yeah. published at this point. But I felt like you guys rolled in without any bio. There wasn't any interview. Yeah. no, There wasn't was any who you... Oh, really? I don't know. <laughs> so do you want to avoid it? I'm, we're going to record with Father we can Sean. About, I think things are going to come out throughout the... Uh, of the, course. So you just learned what I did for work before this. Yeah. You know, there's some bio. I know, but I want to know more. <laughs> See, now Father Sh- uh, Sean Conroy is going to be a uh, host on the show um, throughout the summer. And he told me that this show is too vulnerable. So he doesn't want to get into, like, deeper questions. Well, I shouldn't set it up like that. You'll get to know Father Sean. But um, I am timid with him to ask bio questions because well, maybe that would be intimidating. He doesn't want free. Bio. You can ask whatever you want. But I might plead the fifth. All right. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's, yeah what's the name of the, the first girl you kissed? <laughs> no, see, I won't. I want to know, like, um, plead the fifth. <laughs> what's uh, I know, right? So, yeah, embarrassing you or others. Um, there was one stage kiss in a in a stage performance. Oh, really? That was super awkward. I have never stage kissed. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, I won't say any names or anything, but um, yeah, hadn't hadn't kissed a girl at this point in my life, and we were rehearsing the scene, and uh, just totally just kind of like headbutted her forehead on the. Yeah, so crushed it on the first time. That's like a movie, dude. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's okay, well, good for you. You know, you got to figure out somehow. <laughs> that poor girl. Um, what about? Give me a uh, happy childhood memory. Ooh, I mean, the happiest childhood memories. I played baseball, so Holly Hills Park, just here in Southeast Denver, was the home field, and they had this. They had three fields. And the biggest one was for the, the 11 and 12-year-olds. And so I remember just the first day you actually got to go play on the big field with the grass infield was like, you made the major leagues. You're 11 years old, but uh, yeah, that was pretty epic. Did you ever do um, machine pitch? Oh, yeah. Do they still do that? Um, not as a – I'm sure they do somewhere, but not as like a, a game pitch anywhere. We had coach pitch. Yeah. Which was that's, – that's always the best when your dad's the coach and he can't throw you a good pitch so you end up striking out. No, <laughs> I was going to say, he, he, you're used to his pitching. You can practice a lot. No. So then my dad was a good pitcher. We did. Did he ever try to, did he ever try to get you out? Not during the game. Like a good pitcher is yeah. competitive. <laughs> yeah, you but in coach pitch, you're setting your guys up. Right. You want to, yeah. Why don't they have, you know, what would be fun is if you had the opposite coach pitching. You know, so he is like a player. It's a forty-year-old man reliving his glory days. Yeah, exactly. Strike out nine-year-olds, yeah. and there's a little it. kid, and he's throwing like sixty miles an hour because no tears in baseball. And then, like all of his players, get mad at him if he's not performing. <laughs> you know, um, I remember that too. At what point do you um, have to graduate from a metal bat to a wooden bat? Uh, Because the pros can't use a metal bat, right? 
single A baseball. Is where so yeah. even so co- even in college, college you can metal. use. Yeah. I yeah. feel like they should change that. They had what if summer they leagues? That? They had summer leagues. Uh, there were wood bat leagues. I played in a fall league throughout uh, high school that was all wood bat. But yeah, it's not till you get to the minor leagues that it's mandatory wood. And do you have an opinion about the uh, uniform technology? Is it too <laughs> old school, or is it just fun to have a traditional kind of costume? I like them. The the they're not really that old school anymore. It's all like dry fit Under Armour stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know. We still had this like kind oh, of yeah, back funny then. light pant with like a kind of a cuff at the bottom. <laughs> I guess the baseball pants are probably about the same now as they were. And then I'm trying to think of the, the shirt was similar though. It was kind of a lighter fabric and maybe polyester or something. Um, but it was still kind of like Babe Ruth style. It wasn't all Under Armour. Yeah. It keeps, uh, keeps the game a little classic. Yeah. I'm into it. And then the the helmets, too. Same kind of thing. Same thing. Like, there's one. Okay, so we used to wear this big, huge bowl on our head. And it had, like, pads in the ears yeah. and then two coverings. I think they just make the one covering Usually on now the it's outside just the ear now. facing. And sometimes they've got the one that kind of curves down around the jawline to protect the, the rest of the face. Yeah. And that's preference. I don't know. Some guys... Okay. For a lighter helmet. My my childhood baseball hero, I played Little League. I yeah. loved it. I played catcher, and um, I pitched for a season, I think, but I really, I could throw it hard and straight, but I would just throw the same pitch, <laughs> and then they'd pick up on it. So I, the, it was I wasn't coming. very good. Um, but I did love it, and my childhood uh, baseball hero was Kirby Puckett. And he took one to the face and lost his eyesight. Wow. We went blind. So it's kind of, you know, intimidating to think. Um, yeah. You can no, get really a, hurt. It's a scary game. One of my older brother's friends had, uh, he was pitching, and he took a line drive straight off the jaw, broke some teeth out, broke the jaw. And Ooh. it took him a while to come back, like, full uh, full mental strength yeah. in the game. But you'll see some of the pros now have, like, Basically, like body armor up their arm, covering their wrist while they're on. Oh, the is that hand, what that is? Like protecting, uh, protect their hand. And then there's other like gloves that are basically go over your hand when you're a base runner. So when you slide into the base, it's basically like this cast on your hand to keep your fingers from bending up or breaking back. Yeah. So were you fast? Could you steal bases? Yeah, I stole stole quite a few bases. My older brother was the faster one. We had a he was a senior when I was a freshman, and uh, we had a competition, and he smoked me on base running but i think i out hit him with batting average and he he beat me in rbis the last game of the season no he had like a crazy good double header and beat me by like one or two rbis i was like come on that's good man it's good for your ego hum- yeah. humility and everything it's, it's good for the older brother to win out every once in a while so you're a second second of four yep do you find yourself are do you consider yourself a competitive person um Yes, <laughs> I've learned to be much less competitive, but yes, I think by nature, I was always competing with my older brother. Yeah, well, I think you that's had good. To. You had to. He's got his pros and cons and everything. Oh, you think I'm going to have to deal with that on the show? With me? Yeah. If you've dealt with Father John, I'm not competitive <laughs> at all. I in know. Comparison. Well, I am, so, so. we do kind of end up. I think it's. <laughs> I, it can make kind of a fun dynamic when you're 
in dialogue, but there's also sort of like some stakes of an argument to win. We oh, try to okay. avoid that because it does kind of suppress dialogue to a certain degree, but it's also can make it fun. The, spice ste- things the up. steamroll ap- approach. I'm going to win this conversation. I don't care what you say. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I do that know. to my younger brother. So it's kind of, I, I say intellectual sparring and I really have come to appreciate it with father John sharpens you. Um, I don't always love his style. <laughs> he can che- he cheap shot. And this is the way he cheap shots. He just calls me or looks at me like a provocateur. Like you don't actually believe that you're just playing the devil's advocate <laughs> always, which is often true, but not always. All right. So here we are. You're studying theology. You finished all kinds of philosophy stuff. What is your favorite thing that you learned in philosophy? Or a favorite, I don't know, class or philosopher, um, if you have one. I don't know if I have a favorite philosopher. I enjoyed the uh, the contemporary and modern classes with Dr. Wright. Mm. The kind of seeing where thought has gone in the last 250 years or so. Um, Existentialism, phenomenology. Existentialism and phenomenology are interesting. Semantic philosophy. Um, Did you ever get into that stuff? We didn't do any semantic stuff. Language philosophy? No, that was touched on very... Kind of then we went through deconstructionism and semantics and stuff. But um, for the most part, we kind of stayed how, you know, the Cartesian uh, Descartes uh, transition in philosophy to kind of the postmodern existential nihilism um, was kind of the, the range of those classes. But I appreciated that because I think I realized in those classes how much a culture that is influenced by ideas shapes you without you even realizing it. Yeah. And so I was able to kind of step back third person, look at my own life and say, oh, I picked up a lot of ideas and premises that I never remember assenting to uh, actively. But right. they're, they're in me uh, because the culture has been thinking this way for so long. And it's kind of the, the soul-body split. The consciousness and intellect is kind of superior to body and Yeah, you guys mentioned on your last podcast some of the elements yeah. of kind of power dynamics and yeah. um, all kinds of things that are related. All right, so, yeah, philosophy, when we go down that road, it's going to be like, Nerd alert. Uh, (laughs) We need need a soundboard with the nerd alert call or something. Yeah. I don't know if we have like, I've always wanted to have like, um, yeah, this is the sort of uh, sound buttons you can push. John never went for that. So pew, 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 (laughs) like a laugh track, a kind of jingles and stuff. I can make it happen if you want it. I know, dude, we're going to bring it. See, I like that about you. you you've got the creative tech thing going. All right, so um, one of your hobbies is photography. Yeah. H- um, how do you train the eye? Because I'm, I'm real interested in, like, perspective, mm-hmm. and I think perspective is really important for the Christian life and more and more in my own, like, reflection. But I also just generally speaking think that it's very um, worthwhile for anyone to learn how to look yeah. and how to see things. So it, it, it brightens the world <laughs> and changes the way that you see light color. Um, I think photographers have like a deeper appreciation for just everything you're seeing a face, the detail. Um, 
artists generally, but um, yeah, I think people could enjoy more things, uh, more of life if they could kind of appreciate. No, I agree. I think um, the the crossover outside of just photography or, or artist is just kind of having that Christian imagination, um, which I think is something we'll talk about in some other podcasts. But the idea of of seeing seeing things through the lens of of an all encompassing idea, um, kind of for for the Christian imagination, it's all in context to the incarnation and revelation of God through the world, through matter, through material, through. Um, and so I think when you're an artist or you're a photographer and you're looking and you're, you have a, a certain context to, to your site, uh, you're looking to see something and present something that isn't initially apparent. And um, for photography, for me, videography is very similar because the, the aspect ratio is pretty similar. Um, and the camera... I don't know what that is. Size of the... <laughs> so the, aspe- of the aspect view? ratio is, is your... Um, your horizontal by vertical uh, perspective. So your normal TV screen now is a 16 by 9 okay. aspect ratio. So that's kind of your HD yeah. um, video aspect ratio. And then photography is usually a 4 by 3, more like your old TV screen. What is the normal face? The normal face? So the window that I'm looking at through all the time. Um, well, I don't know as far as aspect Including ratio because you're not really in a box. Um but your your vision is a pretty similar to about a forty millimeter lens, kind of, because a lens will will focus at a uh, a conal shape, uh, and yeah. it will focus out kind of in a triangle, out to you know your square screen, and so the eye sees at about a forty millimeter equivalent to what uh. a camera is, and that gets you. The problem is what's so different about a camera is a camera focuses um, not just center on a point, but it kind of has a field. And so everything 10 feet apart from the camera is focused on. Whereas with our peripheral vision, we shift so much quicker than like a camera does. Mm. So you imitating uh, eyesight in a photo or a uh, with a video camera is actually really challenging to do because the cameras can't shift focus as quick as our eyes do. Ah. But I think for me, the... The first bit, I just kind of intuited. I loved f- looking at photos, and I loved watching video movies as well as just other. I was always fascinated by like the planet Earth stuff. But when I started taking photos myself, I was about, I think I was nine. My parents got me a, a film camera for Christmas. Oh, um, and uh, I was we went on a trip to Yellowstone, and I was just snapping photos everywhere. And I think I just learned and intuited some of these rules of photography because I knew what I liked seeing and I tried to imitate it. And I think even there, there's a lesson of you have to learn. You learn truth as an adult or as a, as a human. And yeah. so you learn from another, you learn prudence from another, you learn virtues from another, right? Interesting. And so it's the same thing when you experience something that's beautiful or well framed, um, you want to imitate it. And yeah. then you, you take your photo and you're like, man, that's nothing like it. How can I make it like that? So then that's the practice to kind of say, okay, how do I imitate? Yeah. And then once you start having an imitation, um, a mastery, you can start to tweak and shape and kind of create yourself. So it is interesting now. I'll be looking, I'll, I'll see light patterns coming through, you know, shade, shadows, 
and light and I'll be like, oh, that's a really interesting contrast that could make a really cool photo. And if you go from a lower perspective or a higher perspective, um, you could get a really cool effect. And so I do think and see um, a little bit differently. Uh, yeah. And that's so funny when, especially with like the iPhones now, they've got great cameras and people snap a photo and, and then they're like, oh man, mine doesn't, doesn't look like your photo. How do you do that? <laughs> I guess I know what I'm looking for. Yeah, you know. got yeah, I know what you're looking for. All right, that's totally cool. The um and I'll I'll kind of pursue that line of thought down the road, but I want yeah, to We've been talking way too long. No, there's never way banter, too long. Team banter baby. Now. Ah, this um, is interesting but stuff. I do I, I with that, I mean I want to talk later around virtue, the development of virtue, uh Christian perfection and how how you learn and practice, but that's another podcast as well. And with imitation, I like that word imitation. I hadn't heard that. I, you hear the word capture, mm-hmm. and it's an interesting, um, yeah. I don't know contrast. Well, one of the things I actually hate in it's academia, like a conquer capture yeah, in in academia or the art world or really anywhere. We've got this fascination with the novel. Everything has to be new, radically creative, different, detached from any tradition. And I'm just like, no, imitation. Yeah. And that's building. true for virtue. All right, that's for virtue. That's another. That's virtue day, man. What do you want to talk about today? I want to talk about value and the Eucharist. The Today is, um, what do we call it, Holy Thursday? Holy Thursday. Holy Thursday. And this won't be published for another month probably. But it is, uh, yeah, apropos to talk about the, the Eucharist. Um, but I want to first ask you, what do you think is your most valuable possession? Hmm. I haven't really thought about that. Or what do you find most valuable in your life? Things. Uh, Possession-wise, I always always go back to my baseball glove, which isn't even the one that I I use, but it's a tie to my childhood. We talked about baseball earlier. It's like like that was the first memory. There's there's a sentimental memory there. Um, And then I've got a a few books uh, that I actually reread uh, novels. Um, those are valuable possessions. So something that triggers uh, triggers memory, or something that um, you know is is continually useful, but also you know beautiful and enjoyable. Those are probably the things I value the most. Yeah. If it's just useful, it's like once it stops being useful, it's in the closet. Um, yeah, and you can get rid of it. I I mean. I- it's interesting to me that you immediately go to things that are of kind of personal value rather than yeah. like my car mm-hmm. is the most expensive thing that I have. <laughs> so like, you know, quantifiably valuable. Um, my relationships are probably the most valuable thing mm-hmm. that mean the most to me. So like, I don't know, parents or kind of like this question of if I were to lose dot 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 yeah um but i said things so yeah i'm not <laughs> you don't don't take insult sorry sorry family parents <laughs> um brother sisters um the so there's a question of yeah value what what can i not lose and what are the most important things to me um all right so that's just that's a kind of a foundation to the conversation and then here's a kind of switch up but it will come back around is that on Palm Sunday, there was a guy that I think essentially he tried to steal the Eucharist, tried to steal a host, slipped it in his pocket after 
um, the communion line and the spirituality or seminarians kind of caught him doing it. And then we're confronting him and we're, um, I went up after distributing communion and asked him to give me the host and, um, and just challenged him like, why, what are you doing? Why are you being disrespectful? And, um, you should be cooperating these guys. So I said, these guys are going to stay with you and explain to you why you should, you know, give back this host and presuming that the guy just doesn't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And this happens occasionally in church when, um, people are confused or they aren't familiar with the, with the ceremony. So it kind of like a basic, um, kind of explanation is that this is the most sacred thing to us. And, that we ask that Catholic uh, non-Catholics do not receive the Eucharist in our churches because of, uh, well, for a number of reasons, but most essentially because this is a, a full participation in what it means to be Catholic and Catholic belief and Catholic partic- uh, like practice. Mm-hmm. So you're saying, I am all in. Yeah. Um, it's also believed to be the true body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, um, and other churches see it more as like a symbol. So when they say everyone's welcome to, to receive this, they're receiving something different um, than we believe that this is Jesus. And that's kind of a wild thing to believe for sure. But um, very simply, Jesus said, this is my body. And he changes bread to his body and then says, take and eat it. Mm-hmm. And then Christians throughout the history of Christianity have valued this sacrament as the true body that is Jesus, right? And so the, the this whole event kind of shook me up and for a couple of reasons. One, I was very angry mm. and I know I'm not a very angry person often, not at least in those moments. And so I wanted, I was reflecting on that afterward, but also I was wondering, like, practically speaking, I was asking myself, well, can we press charges against someone for stealing the Eucharist? And then what are the cops going to think? You know, like, this is the most valuable thing in the world to us. You know, this is more valuable than my car. This is more valuable than the whole church. You could steal anything in the church and it would be less important than this little piece of bread that yeah. has become the body of Christ. And it's impressed me with both that that anger and then just the fascination of this being the most valuable thing. Mm-hmm. Is it fair for me to say that that's the most valuable thing? I would think so. <laughs> if, if you believe uh, what we profess to believe, it absolutely is the most valuable thing. I mean, there's a reason... There's a reason the tabernacle's gold, the the chalice and and the vessels are gold. It's because it's holding or precious metal, precious metal, silver, gold, platinum. Um, it's holding God. It's holding Christ. And if we believe that, then we make something precious because it's holding the most precious thing. And I think you know we had we had a parish who uh, much was broken in and stolen from the parish here in the diocese. Uh, and it was absolutely just a going for kind of the, the metals, the precious metals. And the Eucharist was stolen with the ciborium. And, you know, praise God, the diocese was most concerned with retrieving 
the host. They didn't want yeah. the host to be sac- uh, uh, sacrilege to the host. And there was a um, bunch of other stuff and stolen, like down, this down precious to the, metal, yeah, down to the whatever. copper piping in the in the church. <laughs> yeah, like, it was true. it was everything. That was less um, important than and and that's tragic and it's terrible and we wanted to you know recover that. But the the sadness and the anger was because it they had stolen Christ. Uh, yeah. So I think you're right to say it's the most important. Yeah, and I think I felt the anger because of my deep friendship with Jesus. And it was beautiful kind of um, realization of I value this person so much that I will defend his presence in the world, you know, Um, in, it's kind of like, well, I don't know what, what it would mean to, you know, in any way, whatever it takes, like um, there wasn't any use of, physical force that Mm -hmm. was necessary eventually this guy um you know it worked itself out and the but it was like stirred up because you're threatening someone who is like the most important person to me and i've invested the most in this person and Mm -hmm. i care most about this person and this is i truly believe that this is jesus Mm -hmm. this is god incarnate in the world and that this strange phenomenon of a little piece of bread that has um, transubstantiated is a real technical term into the body of Jesus, the very presence of Jesus is um, just remarkable and is worth defending worth my, um, extreme reaction, mm-hmm. you know, and that, you know, supreme devotion. But it got me thinking um, of the great humility of Jesus to ha- have picked this way of becoming present in the world. Yeah. And how I like to study religions and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's, if you, if you wanted to be uh, if you wanted people to be amazed by you, don't show up in bread. You know, if you want to, people to be, you would show up in something like um, a pearl, mm. super rare, hard to find. You would show up in something like um, gold, you know, rare, expensive, um, exclusive, like elite. Mm-hmm. Not many people can actually possess this thing or come close to it. Um, there are some religions that would take gods in something like lightning. Imagine that if Jesus only made himself <laughs> like present physically in lightning. Doppler says lightning's coming in. Get ready for the liturgy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he could have done that, right? Yeah. If you yeah. say the right prayers and the lightning strikes and it would be elusive. Mm-hmm. You couldn't touch it. You couldn't capture it. You couldn't. Um, but this is bread. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. It's so simple. It's easily abused. It's easily confused. Um, it's easily doubted. It's yeah. easily kind of, um, it can get crumbly. Mm-hmm. You know, we try to make hosts in a way that they don't, you know, crumble, but there's, there's going to be a million particles, you know? Yeah. No, I, I, I love the reflection. Um, a couple of years ago, I was having a conversation with one of the, one of the seminarians here and um, along the same lines, it was like, how crazy is it that, this is how God chose to remain with us. You know, I will remain with you to the end of the ages. Um, and I thought of it 
I mean, we're we're approaching Holy Thursday, and we're gonna we're gonna reflect on the Passion and the death of Christ. And we were talking about kind of abuses to uh, liturgical abuses or or sacramental abuses, um, and things that happen with with the host and you know how should people receive communion because you know to protect Christ, right? Um, but it struck me. Like my internal disposition needs to be, I would do nothing in myself to uh, do sacrilege to the Lord and to reverence Him in His presence. But then also there was this freedom to realize that God had suffered spitting and beating, and like He is bled out on the ground, and He left Himself in bread and wine to become the body and blood, which is potentially messy and spillable and you know it's it's happened um and there's a humility of god to leave himself like that for our sake and we don't want to do any sacrilege to him but at the same time he's already suffered any of that um yeah and he submitted himself to this that poem in uh, or that song in philippians he humbled himself and became with us it's already an amazing thing that god would be a human being, this kind of silly monkey that's like <laughs> smart monkey, you know, um, that God would, I, I know people like, I think there's something very noble about our expressions of reverence, and there are people who like are insistent that we say receive communion on the tongue, or... Um, are really hesitant to even receive the Eucharist mm-hmm. because maybe my life isn't, you know, lived worthily right now. And there are rules around that, you know, how to respect Jesus in the Eucharist. But there's something very simple about Jesus allowed himself to go in your gross mouth, <laughs> you know, and you can't really purify the body, you know, fully and to be digested and chewed on and, it's there's lots of reasons that symbolically this is very profound um but one of my favorites is simply this humility that mm-hmm. when Jesus is incarnate in the world incarnate for you know if you're listening and you don't know a lot of catholic you know lingo is that comes into flesh carne is flesh incarnate is into the flesh mm-hmm. and there's this concept generally we'll talk about incarnation as God becoming alive in the world, you know, it, it kind of the worldly material being imbued with divinity or with God out of the uh, action of this second person of the Trinity, um, but specifically a person, this, the, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God becomes flesh mm-hmm. and dwells among us. Um, but there's something accessible in that incarnation to everyone. You know, this isn't of technically of huge value. You know, it's not mm-hmm. the um, the gold chains yeah, that <laughs> you'd have to work really hard and get lucky for. The flour and water to make the host is very simple and accessible. The most simple. It's like you, it's something that everybody has every day and has to have and is accessible to everyone in the world. It's not the 1%. Mm-hmm. You know, we, the 1% get all the fancy stuff 
and can have, well, not the lightning. (laughs) (laughs) Still elusive for everybody. But this is something that's that humble. It's as humble as you can get and, and yet as precious as you can get. And the effect I think that has on us is that our priorities turn from the ambition to get, 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 mm-hmm. you know, in the world, to, to prove ourselves with getting the most valuable things, to comfort ourselves, to win the victory, to be competitive for all of the most comfortable things, because we already have the most valuable thing in the world. And it's not grasping, uh, but receiving. Yeah. Because he, the, the most valuable, the ungraspable God has made himself receivable. Yeah, it gives himself to us, which is cool. I think too, what, what you're, when you're talking about um, the humility of it, but also to receive into our, uh, our, our gross mouths, I was thinking of um, when Christ is talking with the Pharisees and he says, it is, not, uh, it is not what comes or goes into the body which defiles you, but what comes out from the, comes forth from the heart which defiles mm. you. And, and in the Eucharist, he's providing the cure for that. Because it's not what goes into our body. It's not the, the you know, Levitical laws of you can eat this, you can't eat that, that make you pure or defile you. Um, Christ inverts that a little bit. And what he gives you in his body, which you receive into you, is what purifies you. Uh, his gift of his presence, his gift of himself uh, is transformative and transforms, is received and then transforms you and transforms your heart, transforms your, uh, your spirit. Yeah, and makes us in some way valuable, the same kind of profoundly valuable flesh. Mm -hmm. I know our own self is, I don't know if that's like, in my mind, that's kind of a psychological phenomenon, us Mm -hmm. understanding our value. Yeah, Christ Um, in me and I in Christ, and now I have value in relation. Yeah, but even like, well, how do I treat this uh, Catholic um, sister or brother around me, like a tabernacle. Uh, <laughs> not always. Not often, <laughs> but it's um, yeah, just that kind of humble and beautiful reality of God, the way that He wants to dwell in the flesh and in the world. I guess wine, you could say, is more rare because it takes like a, this elaborate process, and it. Um, I don't know. It's used in fancy situations. It's not the everyday. Yeah. And yet it still is so common. I mean, in the throughout history we've had wine or fermented drink. Uh so it's not it's still not uncommon to humanity. Um Yeah, it's it maybe not Bud Light. Yeah. But it's uh, <laughs> or Coors Light. We're in Colorado. Yeah. But it is yeah, it's definitely accessible. So that's that's my uh Holy Thursday kind of intrigue, and I want people spinning on that question, um, or that series of questions, yeah. is like how, well, and how can you show this this value in your life? Um, receiving it will transform your life, mm-hmm. and it's hard, too. It's a mystery of faith. Like, I went, went to the jail one time, and I think I've told this story on the podcast, but you start to forget after so many years. <laughs> I went to the jail and I was doing a communion service and you bring the blessed sacrament and we, it's, it's there's a very kind of careful process where you're mm-hmm. carrying the, the Eucharist in 
um, a kind of sacred vessel, a little mini vessel, we call it Pix. Um, this little circle container that's precious metal usually. And then you, you, it changes whenever you're in the presence of the Eucharist, it changes things. So when I drive, I learned this from Father Jason Tiroff, then I will be in silence. I'm not listening to the radio. I'm in silence in the car. I'm praying often. And he would praise God. I loved that while he would drive with the Eucharist in tow. And, um, and then I get to the, the jail and we're doing the communion service and I hold it up. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Uh, I think it was those words back then. And then uh, some guy in the back says, that ain't no lamb. Why are you telling these guys that that's a lamb? Don't lie to these guys. That's not a lamb. And the guys got all riled up and they're kind of like jumping on that guy. And I said, oh, don't. Okay, I'll explain afterward, you know. Um, so then I try, you know, and, and, and I, I understood this is a difficult thing mm-hmm. to understand. And if you have the gift of faith and you come to experience that and if you um, learn, you know, and kind of grow into this understanding, you know, we don't give the Eucharist to kids. Yeah. Because you have to learn to understand. Mm-hmm. And and even understanding is a very simple term for a mystery that's yeah. way beyond us. But I could see, yeah, this is like that profound of a mystery that you could say, hey, that ain't no lamb. Or, you know, that ain't no Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, even even the uh, the lamb's like one, one step removed even from that because it's uh, you have to know salvation history and the symbolism of God's work with the Israelites and that, you know, Abraham uh, said God will provide the lamb. And then uh, instead of sacrificing his son, God left a ram. Uh, it's caught in the bush that they sacrificed to God, but he still hadn't given the lamb. So there's the prophecy that God will provide a lamb for the sacrifice from Abraham at the beginning, you know. And then we have the Exodus where they sacrifice an unblemished lamb and eat it before leaving uh, leaving Egypt. And so you've got this image of the lamb, and then we're going to celebrate that tonight at the Last Supper where Jesus is celebrating the Passover meal. There would have been a lamb, but he's the true lamb leaving his body. So you've got all these layers of, of revelation that God has been preparing uh, that you receive in faith. Um, but then to that point where Christ is the fulfillment of all of that promise— all of that prophecy, uh, but he himself becomes bread, and Christ is the lamb, and so then the bread is the lamb. I mean, there, you have to just be steeped in it for, yeah. for so long. But it's even just knowing those things. Uh, you could you could read the Bible in a super atheistic light and just say, oh, look at all this literary structure of illusion, and uh, it's even there you might not believe it. Yeah, the symbolism is packed with typology, but that's another podcast. That's another one. So, um, you, I saw, I caught him looking at his watch. Is that a signal, or no. is that just curiosity? No, that was a deacon Trevor asking me to do something for him, a uh, favor at the house to put away some stuff. Fair I, enough. I get distracted. I have a, I have an old smartwatch that distracts me from being present to. What is a smartwatch? Emails. Emails, text. Ah, so it yeah. buzzes you, and then, oh, that would drive me nuts. Yeah, it's probably a bad decision. The phone already drives me nuts. All right, so give shout-outs if you got some. Oh, no. Deacon Trevor already. Deacon Trevor, you get a shout-out. Uh, I don't know. 
gosh, I forgot. I, I've never done the shout outs really before. So. Oh, really? Um, while you shout out people, I will think of a few people to shout out. Well, I would say um, Father Michael Walsh. Now, he's passed, so God, God rest his soul. The, um, the pastor that I, I grew up with in, at St. Thomas More introduced perpetual adoration of the Blessed Sacrament to our parish so that it, that's like organizing you have a chapel and there's um, Jesus in the Eucharist in um, a kind of uh, it's called a monstrance it's like a special display a cross where that you put the the bread that has become Jesus in the center of so that people can um, pray with it, with it in front of it see this blessed sacrament and praise and adore and, and then organize the parish community to have someone always present in 24-7 in front of the Blessed Sacrament. So there would be two people for an hour shift throughout the whole week, for every hour. And that's continued to this day. And it had a lot to, had a profound impact on me in my growth in devotion to the Eucharist and my appreciation of meeting my, my friend and God, Jesus, my King, in this very simple way and then praising him and giving my life more deeply and and then finding a lot of comfort in high school that was very comforting for me to go and visit this sacred place and see Jesus in the in the blessed sacrament um, and just rest there for a little while in the mass it goes so quickly you know there he is and now he's you know, um, reposed in the in the tabernacle but I really appreciate that from Father Walsh and uh, so can't hear that but everybody at st thomas more knows what i know so shout out to everybody at st thomas more especially to the people who have dedicated an hour a week in adoration of the blessed sacrament yeah well i'm going to shout out my little brother joe and a friend john paul because they were the two that uh ribbed me real good for starting up on the podcast oh yeah uh, the, a budding scholar. Yeah, they're the uh, my little brother. Yes, the budding scholar. He'll be he'll be far more impressive than me in about two years. So, uh, but uh, yeah, they they both ribbed me a little bit for starting the podcast, uh, keeping me uh, keeping me grounded. So here you go. We'll we'll talk a little trash about them over the over the years. I'm sure, of course, especially Joe. All right, God bless you, everybody. Have a wonderful. Triduum and Holy Week. You'll probably get this during Easter, so have a wonderful Easter. Next year, 10 months from when you hear this, have a great Triduum. <laughs> I'm still not going to say Alleluia. Oh, no, you just said it. God bless you, everybody. Take care.